We pray that as you listen to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, we just pray you'd be with us tonight. Everything that's said, everything that's done. God, we pray that your will would be accomplished through that. God, that you would speak to our hearts and our lives. God, we maybe came in one way, but whatever way we came in tonight, God, I pray that we would leave another way, that we would leave change through your word, because God, that's what your word promises to do. And we want to be recipients of that. We want to be partakers of that. We want to be involved in that. And God, I really truly believe this. What we put in to this message is what we're going to get out. And God, we're going to give you our attention. We're going to give you our hearts. We're going to give you our lives. We're going to give you our expectancy because we're believing for you to do great things. We love you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, turn to your neighbor and say, hi, I'm a hypocrite. Or you can give him a kiss like John just did. I like that. Turn to his neighbor and gave him a kiss. Come on, follow suit if that fits right there. But come on, look at that neighbor and say, hi, I'm a hypocrite. But God has not finished with me yet. God's not finished with... What an incredible series. I'm telling you, we had church on Sunday. We had a phenomenal time on Sunday. And I'm just really believing that lives have been altered. Destinies and purposes have been changed through what was presented to you on Sunday. But I'm just ready for Christians to be real. I'm just ready for people to be real without caring about what other people think. Come on, it's time to put down the facade. It's time to put down the mask of trying to be everything that we think other people think we should be. And what other people have told us we need to be, but we need to be everything that God made us to be. We need to be true to God, not to our spouse. We need to be true to God, not our parents. We need to be true to God, not our employer or employees. And you may say, hold on a second, what are you saying about my spouse and my kids? Well, listen, when you're true to God, you'll be the spouse, you'll be the child, you'll be the boss, you'll be the employee, you'll be what you need to be. But the focus so often is wrong. We don't take care of the root cause we want to deal with the symptom cause. But the root cause is we need God to change us from the very core of who we are. Come on, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I don't. I don't want to be a person that says one thing, but yet what? Lives a completely different way. Saying one thing, but acting. I don't want to be one way in church and another way out of church. I want to be what God made me, and that means 24-7, 365, 366, once every four years. Watch out, leap year, whoop, whoop. I want to be what God made us to be, and we have too many Christian hypocrites. We have too many Jacobs who are destined to be Israels. Come on, if you weren't with us on Sunday, you won't know what we're talking about. You need to be here in the house on Sunday. It's important. Play catch-up. It's on podcast. It's already on the website. You need to listen. But we've got too many people who are still fighting for their life instead of holding on for their blessing. 
The big difference, resisting the hands that want to bless us. I want to hold on to God and say, God, would you bless me? I want the blessing of God to be all over my life. And what did we discover? On Sunday, the blessing comes into our lives when we begin to come clean with God and say, God, I'm a liar. God, I'm a manipulator. God, I'm a cheater. I'm this and I'm that. God, this is who I am. But God, I know who you want to make me to become. So come on, let's stop fighting God. We talked about it Sunday. God doesn't fight with us because he wants to destroy us. God doesn't want to defeat us. There's no glory. God doesn't get any glory if we're defeated, if we're destroyed. He doesn't get the glory from that. Satan works hard at trying to do that. He wants to kill, steal and destroy. But God says, I've come to give you, but not just life, did he? What did he come to give us? Abundant life. Come on, life on steroids. Whoop, whoop. Come on, big stuff. Great stuff. What God wants to do. But Satan does, or God doesn't want to defeat us. He just wants to show you and I who we really are. So he can change us in what we need to be. The real you. For many people, you know, there's many people today that don't really know really who they are. They really don't know their identity anymore. I know Robert deals with people who have had addictions and strongholds and he's dealing with people like that. The struggle that they have is who really am I? What am I? Because without drugs, without dependency upon these things, who really am I? I knew a, a guy called Don had a problem with, the, um, with alcohol for years and years. And he would tell me that it got so bad that he didn't even know what normal was any longer. He found himself waking up in the morning just drinking a six-pack just to kind of be able to function throughout the day just to try and get back to normal, whatever normal was. He had lost all sense of normality. I really believe that through this series, you're going to truly discover you. And you're going to discover the you that God made, not the you that other people have labeled that you're ashamed of, that my nose is too big, my hair's too short, this, that. All the complaints and the things that you can go through, the insecurities in your life. But you can discover the real you and you can be proud to say, I want to be everything that God made me to be. That we can no longer be a hypocrite and being no longer a hypocrite is going to be so liberating to your life. Just to be real and just to act it, not act it out, but just to live it out. Tonight I want to talk about, here's the title of my message, are you ready? Living at by you self. Living at by you self. How many knows in Louisiana there's a lot of bayous? A lot of waterways. Really a bayou is basically a glorified ditch. But in that ditch, there's some good eating. Do I hear an amen in the house? Some crawfish. Anyone into crawfish? Anyone loving that? Come on, just wetting your appetite right there. And some good old crawfish. But a bayou's all over, just little waterways everywhere. But you know what I've discovered? And that's this. A lot of people are living by themselves. Come on, they're living it by yourself. Trying to do life on your own. Trying to live a place of isolation. And not a place that God wants. I want to show you straight from God's word that God doesn't want you to live it by yourself. On your own. All alone. Isolated and feeling that's how you have to be to protect who you are. Look what the scripture says in Proverbs 18 verse 1 right off the bat. A man or a woman, basically a person, you and I is what he's talking about there. A person who isolates himself seeks what? His own Desires. He becomes self-centered. He becomes selfish. It's all about me and what I need 
for my life. And it goes on to say, what does he or she do? They rage against all wise judgment. Notice how it's written. It's not just partial judgment. It's all judgment. That there is a resistance, there is a fight, there is a rage against sound wisdom, the right things to do. For what reason? Through being isolated, through being caught up in yourself, you find yourself in the wrong place. New Living Translation says, A recluse is self-indulgent, snarling at every sound principle of conduct. So who is the person that is like that? A person who isolates themselves. I think one of the results of hypocrisy is this. We find ourselves many times isolated. Because of our hypocrisy, because of us saying one thing and doing another, trying to live up to the standards of everyone else, we find ourselves hurt, we find ourselves disillusioned, we find ourselves let down. So what do we do? The easiest thing is to hide, shut ourselves away, protect ourselves so we won't label or so we won't be hurt any longer. But what you what label as protecting yourself is perhaps inflicting the greatest harm upon you. Because you get by yourself. You want to be on your own. You know what they do in prison for the greatest punishment? The greatest form of punishment that they do in prison is this. They put someone in a place of solitary confinement. For what reason? It's a It's a punishment, it's a torture literally, that you are shut away from no input from anyone else. You don't hear voices, you don't see voices, you're in darkness, you're all alone. It's such a punishment. Why? Because you and I were never made to live alone, to do life alone. Genesis 2 verse 18 we see, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper. In this passage, he's talking specifically to Adam and he's making him a wife. But this passage isn't just that specific to every one of us. He's showing that man needs friends. Man needs companionship. Man needs community, or as we like to call it him, man needs to be part of a family. And if we don't watch hypocrisy, living a double life will isolate us from that and separate us from a place of communion, a place of fellowship, that which we need. Everyone wants to belong to somebody. Everyone longs to belong. And it's a part of life. You would look in Ecclesiastes verse, um, chapter 4, verse 9 through 12, you would see this in the passage. It talks about two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor, meaning they can do twice as much work when you've got someone there to help you. Notice if one falls, what's the thought? Someone's there to help me up. Someone's there to be a companion, to help me on his way. But what does it say? Watch out for the one who stumbles or falls on his own. Because who's going to help him? Who's going to be there to help him? And then it goes on to say this, the next verse, it says, again, if two lay down together, notice what happens. They keep each other warm. But how can one be a warm alone? Though one may be, I love this, overpowered by another. Notice the last part of verse 12. But two can withstand him. And then what? A family, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Take a rope and the greatest strength is not in two strands, it's in three strands woven together. Come on, in a marriage, that's you, your spouse, and God. But in life, it's the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
They want to weave us in, but in church, it's those around us that we can be woven around each other's lives, that we can be a part of each other's lives, that we can support and that we can help each other. I want you to see something today. There's power in more than just one. Power in just you. But Satan wants to isolate you. Satan wants to get you to that place where no one else cares about you. No one else and everyone else is talking about you. He wants to mess with your mind. He wants to do. Why? Because when he isolates you, we just read what happens. You're going to rage against. You're going to resist all sound wisdom of what God wants to do in your life. You know, I, I began to study and I realized this. There are two main effects of isolation. You want to know what they are? Here's the two main effects. There are other effects, but here are the two main effects of isolation. Number one, you begin to have feelings of rejection. That when you isolate yourself, when you begin to close your heart to those around you, what's the next step? You begin to build up walls because you've been hurt. You've gone through pain. You've gone through disappointments. So you build up walls because you are offended. You have become offended. You've got to remember this. Offense is your choice. Come on, I want to say that one more time. Offense is your choice. It's not nice when people offend us, but we need to choose the greatest life that we can live, I believe, is a life that refuses to be offended. What people say, what people do, what people don't say, and what people don't do. That we choose not to be offended because if we don't watch, isolation can give us those feelings of rejection. No one loves me. No one cares for me. I'm all alone. Who is there? We may keep smiling at work. We may keep smiling at church. We may wear the mask because we're faking it to make it. But underneath we're saying, I'm never going to let someone else in. I'm never going to trust someone ever again. Because I was hurt and I will not be ever hurt again. I want to tell you something. Are you ready? Those type of walls of offense, those type of walls that you build up to cause to protect yourself, they won't protect you from yourself. They won't protect you from yourself. Oh, if I could just get Robert out of my life, then my life is going to be great. But you've still got you. You've still got to deal with you. And even though you put up those walls and you keep Robert physically maybe out of your life, guess what? You've still got the thoughts of what he's done within your life, within the walls. So you can't even escape those thoughts because you're trapped in your own prison. Think about that. Can you see the lies that the enemy tells you if you can just build up and then you can protect yourself? No, you're imprisoning yourself. You're going to remain in that same state and you're going to become your own worst enemy. So, so effect number one, you're going to have feelings of rejection. Here's the second major effect. You're then going to start acting out according to the rejections and the feelings. You're now going to start acting. It doesn't just stop with a thought. It's going to become an action in your life. Before you know it, you're going to be what? Doing unhealthy things in your life. You're going to have unhealthy patterns that are developing in your life. Things that you thought you would never do. Places you thought you would never go. Why? Because God delivered me from those. But if you allow isolation to get over your life and the enemy to isolate you, you can be in a crowd with people and live an isolated life. Come on. You can work in an office with a thousand people all around you and you can live an isolated life because you have shut everyone else off and you've got to be careful because you're going to start acting out. You know what's going to take place as you begin to act out? Silent addictions are going to begin to find their way into your life. 
Because it doesn't end with a feeling, it becomes an action. And they're wrong actions. They're not right actions. And what those silent addictions, what those unhealthy patterns that develop in our life, you know what they do? They isolate us more and more and more. Because then we've got to hide something else. And then we've got to lie about something else. And then we've got to cover something else so it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Come on, God did not create us to live in a prison of our own making. Oh, but it's everyone else's fault because they're doing it. No, offense is your choice. You've got to shake it free and realize that God came to give you freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Bible says there is liberty There is freedom, there is release, there is blessing, there is future for your life. Remember this, when we're talking about acting out and we're living in sin and we're doing these things, you've got to remember this, temptation is not sin. We all have temptation. Anyone agree with that? The Bible says every man has... The temptation aspect is not sin, but what temptation is, temptation is sin knocking on your door. Okay, When temptation becomes a sin is when what? When you give into it and you begin to act on it. When you become disobedient to God, that's when you've got to watch for isolation because you begin to do things that you thought you would never do. Because you find yourself in a state, your feelings get hurt. You start acting out and then that which is knocking on the door, you don't have the strength any longer because the devil's knocking on your door just like Jesus is knocking on your door. And the handle, both cases, is on the inside. Satan can't open the door, nor can God. We've got to open the door of our hearts and let God in. But we also can open up the door and let Satan come in. And he can come in and he sure does. He wants to come in. And these effects and others of isolation can cause us to sink back into an increasingly superficial friendships. There's a lot of superficial friendships today. Did you know that? A lot of superficial friendships today. And one of the biggest causes of superficial friendships today is social media. Social media. I'm not here to jump on social media. I'm not here to attack it today because I believe social media is a great tool when it's used properly. But it's also a tool that has destroyed and is destroying so many people. Listen to what I read today. On Facebook, we control what we post and manipulate our status, photos and likes so that other people will envy us, admire us and like us back. Some even do it to make people feel sorry for them. Because the unwritten goal of Facebook is for you to put your best face out there. Maybe Facebook would be better to be called fake book. Our goal is to make people want to do what we do. Come on, the images and things we put on there, we want people to like us. We want people to, wow, look at that. That's incredible. We do all these things. And again, I'm not here to jump all over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the social media. Because as I said, it's a great tool. But I want to tell you this. It does not create great relationships. It does not create great relationships which we need in our life. Because God says we can't live alone. We need relationships. It makes us feel like we know people. Yet we really don't. We know of them. We know what's going on in their lives. But we don't 
really know them. With all the technology that we have today that we say the world's smaller than it's ever been, that we can reach people all over this world, with all the technology and all the social media, do you realize it has made us less connected, not more connected? Come on, it's made us less connected in a positive and helpful way in our life. And it's made us really more isolated than we even think. Think about this scenario, okay? We can have thousands of friends and followers. But when there's a need in our life, we can be left with no one to really talk to. I've got 10,000 friends on Facebook. But when there's a problem and I need someone right now, There's no one. If I need someone to go out for a coffee and have a chat and just help me, there's no one. But I've got so many friends. Do you see the disconnection if we don't watch? We've got to find and be so careful. I I, I wrote this down. I think social media creates an itch that it cannot scratch. Huh? Creates an itch it can't scratch. Because, oh, it's great to have, but really, who really are you talking to? What really are they? Because people can be anything they want to be on social media. So let's look tonight, if we could, at a quick story of isolation from the Bible. It's the story of the lady from Samaria, the Samaritan woman, who met Jesus at the well. Anyone remember that story? It's a great story. And if you don't know that story, we're, we're going to go through that. Incidentally, really excited in October... We're going to have a whole month where we're going to go back to the basics and we're going to be telling some of the great stories from the Word of God and we're going to be talking about just the famous biblical stories for a whole month. We're going to be doing it with the kids too and just different things. It's just going to be really, really exciting. We're excited about that. But if you've got your Bibles with us tonight, turn to John chapter 4. You can follow on the screen. But it's amazing. It's the story of a lady from Samaria. The most amazing thing is that there's such a big passage in here that Jesus gives such personal attention to her. But it amazes me that her name is not even given. In society and in the world, she is so unimportant that it's not even deemed fit that she would be given a name. I love that because here is Jesus that cares about a nobody. Because he doesn't see a nobody, he sees a somebody. Because there are no nobodies in Christ. There's only somebodies in Christ. It doesn't specifically tell us. But here's a lady, as we're going to see, who's lived a painful life. She's been through the mill, so to speak. She's had a fair share of life problems. And as we begin to read and dissect this and make it through, we're going to actually see a lot of parallels from what we saw in the example of Jacob, how he had an encounter with God. And again, if you weren't here on Sunday, you missed it. You need to be here so you can hear the word of God. So look at it. Well, it says in John 4, verse 3 through 4, it says, And Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. I love that. He needed to go through Samaria, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but trust me, it really was. Jews didn't go there. Jews did not go to Samaria because they believed Samaritans or the people of Samaria, they were unclean people, they were unholy people, they were scum. In fact, the Jewish people labeled them as dogs. 
They didn't want to be around them. That was one of the greatest insults that you could give someone of that day, calling them a dog. That's what a Samaritan was to a Jew. They would go out of their way, walking hundreds, or not hundreds, but many miles to go around Samaria instead of going through it. But this day, Jesus needed to go through. He was led by God to go through it. And you know why Jesus needed to go there? Because there was someone who needed to meet him. There was someone that was being set up for a life change. Aren't you glad that one day Jesus met you right where you were? Come on, that Jesus needed to go into that club where you were partying. Come on, that Jesus knew to go into that street corner where you were laying in that ditch, that Jesus needed to go there. Aren't you glad that you were a nobody to the world, but you were a somebody that Jesus needed to come and touch your life? And he hasn't finished with us yet. Come on, I feel that tonight. Come on, Jesus is still moving in our lives. He's still touching other people's lives. He needed to go there. Verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Think it's so interesting, the parallels we see of Jacob, and Jacob's in this story. It's Jacob's well, a well that he had given to his son Joseph. Verse 6, now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Another important thing to note there, the sixth hour did not mean it was six o'clock in the morning. The Jewish day went from sun up to sundown. So sun up around about six o'clock in the morning. So this was at noon. This was high time. This was the hottest time of the day. This is the time where pe- when people weren't supposed to be there. If they went to the well, they went first thing in the morning or they went last thing at night. Why? Because they didn't want to be there at the hottest time of the day. But she was there. Why was she there at 12 o'clock? It wasn't because she was on her lunch break. Come on, I'm just going to go and get a quick jug of water. I'm on my lunch break. It wasn't. She was at that well because she knew no one else would be there because she was avoiding everyone else. Why? Because of the shame of her life. She was living in a prison. She was living in isolation because of the shame that we're going to discover in her life. Read on. Verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Almost when you read that, it's almost forceful, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like, give me a drink. Like, woman, give me a drink. But it's not how it was intended. In fact, in the original language, they tell us this, that Jesus was making a request to her as a friend. As a friend, just like we would talk to our best friends, we would be kind, we'd be cordial, we would be compassionate, we'd be loving. That was the way that Jesus, so think about this, he's not demanding something, he's not questioning whether she should give it to us. He's come as a friend and gently and warmly is making conversation and connection with her. Woman, would you give me a drink? Basically saying, how are you today? Is everything okay? What's the struggles? That's almost what he is saying to her. He's having compassion on her. He's almost ministering to her. Read on, verse 8 and 9. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, 
Notice two things she questions. Number one, how is it that you being a Jew ask of me a Samaritan? Notice the first thing is this. Why are you a Jewish person talking to me a Samaritan? This shouldn't happen. But notice the second thing at the end. She said, not only a Jew and a Samaritan, but I am a woman. A woman. He shouldn't have been in the society of that day, talking to a woman. In fact, women weren't regarded on the same level as men back in those times. And she's shocked. How are you, a Jew, shouldn't have involvement with Samaritans, but now not only a Jew with a Samaritan, but I'm a woman. And yet you are talking to me. Why? Don't you love that Jesus breaks through social barriers? Jesus breaks through what people say should be, could be, would be. That Jesus just breaks through all of those things, throws away the mold. Why? Because he wants to touch her life. He wants to touch her life. Jesus is not interested in being politically correct. And doing everything as the world, he's on a higher mission. He's on a mission from above. He needed to be there. For what reason? Because of this need. And he's now ready to touch her life. But notice this, he's ready to touch her life in the state that she is in. He's not ready for her to change, then I'll come back. But he's ready to touch her life right where she is. Why? Because God, you'll see this throughout the entirety of God's word. God convicts us, he does not condemn us. It's about convicting us, helping us to see the error of our lives, but doesn't write us off, doesn't condemn us. As we'll see as we read on in verse 10, And Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God, and if you knew who it was who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, And he would have given you living water. I believe a shift is beginning to happen in this story. Just like with Jacob. He suddenly realizes who he was fighting with. And no longer is he fighting for his life. He begins to hold on for his blessing as he recognizes God. This lady's recognizing something. This ain't no ordinary man. This is someone special. This is someone different. No one's spoken to me. No one's treated me. There's got to be more to this person. So a shift begins to happen, but yet she's still puzzled. She can't grasp it. She doesn't fully understand it all as we, (coughs) excuse me, read on and see verse 11. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. You don't have a bucket. You have no way to get water out of the well, and the well is deep. So where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well, and who drank from it himself, as, his, as did his sons and his livestock? And now he begins to answer her, but he begins to shift the conversation. Come on, now he begins to shift the conversation eternally. Towards the need of her soul, which Jesus always does when he meets people. Verse 13 and 14, And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water, springing up into everlasting life. 
She's never heard anyone talk to her like this. She's isolated. She's, because of her life and the wrong decisions and the choices, she's separated. She's forced herself into a place of isolation. Living a life of hypocrisy to herself because she's not living who God created her to be. And Jesus needed to be there. He shows up. And you can, can you see the guard almost beginning to come down? She's beginning to peer out of her isolation and she's beginning to, I believe, feel hope. She's beginning to sense something. And here's how she replies to Jesus. She says, give me some of that. I want some of that water. I want that which I'll never thirst again. Why did she say that? She said, hey, I want to take that. Here's the first thought. Are you ready? Here's why she wanted that. Because her first thought was, I'll never have to face rejection again. Because I'll never have to come to this well again. Jesus, if you give me that, I can lock myself up in my house. I can be safe. I can be caught up in all my problems and my circumstances and my situations. And if people would just get out of my life, then I would be fine. But we discovered earlier, didn't we, that we're not fine on our own because we're our biggest problem. I'll never have to face anyone else again. And then Jesus comes up with a strange question like he does with Jacob. Jacob says, bless me, Jesus. Oh, bless me, God. And Jesus says, what's your name, Jacob? And notice the question now that Jesus poses to this lady in her isolation, in her place of rejection, in her life of hypocrisy. Jesus said to her, go and call your husband and come back. Go and get your husband and bring him back. Come on, bring him back over here. Now here's her response. It's kind of sort of the truth. She says in verse 17, I have no husband now It wasn't exactly the truth, but it wasn't really a lie either. It was a safe answer. Such a picture many times of our life. We like to skirt around the truth. Come on, we like to avoid the issues. We like to justify our actions of why we are what we are instead of being what God made us to be. Come on. Safe answer. Saying that. But now what? She hears something back that absolutely rocks her world. Jesus says to her, verse 17, you know what? You've said right in the fact that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband, so you spoke truly about that, Jesus said. So you were kind of true, but let me tell you the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. You've had five husbands. Now we can see, can't we, the reason for her isolation. We can now see why she's avoided others. What a reputation she must have had. When she walked down, all the ladies must have been screaming, lock up your husbands, here she comes. She had a reputation of the one who split and destroyed families and took people that she had no business to be a part of. And here's someone that no one else wanted to speak to. But she's having a personal encounter with Jesus. With Jesus. And he didn't come to condemn her. Friend, give me a drink. He loved her. He gave her hope. What Jesus 
knew about her was everything. He knew all about her. But even knowing everything about her, he still longed to be in relationship with her. No matter what you've done, Jesus knows everything about it. But he still needs go through to say, friend, I've got living water that you'll never have to thirst again. You don't have to live in isolation. You don't have to live in hypocrisy. You don't have to live one way and speak another way and be this or that. But you can be free in me. She's trying to hide her deepest shame and the secrets of her past and the present that she's still living in. And just Jesus brings it all to light. Why does he do that? Because he wants to help her, not destroy her. He brings it to light so she can be free from that, that she can be saved from it, that she can be healed from it. You know, every one of us here tonight are so much like her. Not in the fact, hopefully, that we've had five husbands and the one we're with right now is not our husband or wife. But I'm telling you, why we're like her, are you ready? Because I know every one of us in here have made at least five mistakes in our life. Every one of us have made at least five mistakes and we're probably living with one right now. But we're masking it to everyone else around. And we're hiding it and we're justifying it. Well, it's not really bad because at least I'm not as bad as they are. Saying one thing but living another way makes us a hypocrite. And then if people begin to see the truth beginning to service, what do we do? We fall back, build up more walls and isolate ourselves in a greater Way because we don't want people to really know what's going on inside of us. We're hiding it. We're never dealing with it. In verse 19, the lady says, the lights are coming on. The woman said to him, I perceive that you're a prophet. Her hunch that she had, there's something different about him and she now realizes what it is. It's now confirmed. From the beginning she knew, but now she understands because she has never been treated with such compassion. She has never been treated with such love. Aren't you glad that God is a bridge builder, not a bridge breaker? Aren't you glad that he came right where you're at? And Jesus continues to talk with her and he continues to give her hope. And I'm nearly done. At the end of the story, as we see, as we jump down to verse 28 and verse 29, she then runs and tells other people that the the woman then left her water pot and she went her way into the city and said to all the men of the city, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Could this be the Messiah? Oh, you better believe everyone ran because they wanted to see that man who knew everything about her. But you know what the thought is here? Come see a man who told me everything I did, but yet did not condemn me. And jump down to verse 39. 
And as a result of those people coming and seeing Jesus and being a part of that experience, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. Because of a life that was changed, many people came to know Christ. Satan wants to isolate you for what reason? To separate you from the people around you who need Jesus in their life. Because as a result of the change that God not only has done, but still wants to do in your life, you can impact and you can affect so many other people around. But when you're isolated, when you're in your prison, you're not given any glory and you're not given any honor to God. Because of a woman who testified, he told me everything I ever did. Tonight, if you think that you have to be perfect before God can use you, I just want you to know something. You're completely wrong about that. Because God loves to use messed up people. I'm one. Anyone else? A messed up person? We're talking past tense. Come on now. Because God did a work and a change inside of our lives. So let me bring all this to a close tonight. We've got to end. We cannot allow the hypocrisy of our lives to put us in a place of isolation. We cannot allow the hypocrisy of our lives to put us in a place of superficial relationships. Many people but no real friends. No one really around us. We need a family. We need people who are around us. We need godly counsel. We don't need people to tell us what we want to hear. We need people to tell us what God wants to say to each one of our lives. And may I remind you that the Bible says there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors. It's not just one counselor, but it's a multitude of those who would confirm that in your life. Come on, when there's problems. You know what we were taught when we were kids, Daryl? When there's a problem in our life, we run to the house. Come on, we run to the house of God. If we're sick, man, we're the first ones in line to be prayed for. Come on, if we're tired, we need strength from God. We're going to run to the house. Because David says what? He talked about when you're in the house of God. What did he say? I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house. Why? Because there's singing. There's dancing. There's victory. There's liberty. Something is happening. We were taught as kids, you run to the house. You don't know how many times I pick up the phone and say to people, where have you been? Oh, we're going through a lot of stuff right now. You need to be in the house. Come on. You need to be in the house. You need to be in the house when things are good and you definitely need to be in the house when things are bad. Because you need God in your life. But what does the enemy do? He isolates you, makes you feel sorry for yourself, makes you think that everyone's talking about you. Why? Because he wants to uproot you from that place where God has placed you, where you can lead other people to Christ. And you can bring others to him. We need to run to the house. I don't want to be a person from Proverbs 18 verse 1. The one who rages against all sound wisdom and judgment. Why? Because I'm isolating myself. It's time like never before that we connect and commit. It's time like never before that we become part of a family. To realize we're all dysfunctional in some ways. But we're sinners saved by grace. 
God's not finished with me yet. Aren't you glad about that? Because I'm glad he's not finished with you because you've got some stuff that he needs to do. Dustin, you've got some stuff. Tanji, you've got some stuff. I love you, mate. You've got some stuff. We've all got some stuff, but he's not finished with us yet. And we're a work in progress. But the only way he can complete that work is if we, what? Yield to that. Surrender to that. Not isolate ourselves, separate, put in a prison around, but come and clean. Not being a Christian hypocrite, not being a person who says one thing and does the other. You and I have got to surround ourselves with the right people that will stop at nothing to get us to Christ. Got to be around people that will take us to Christ. Don't allow past hurts, we all have them. Don't allow past disappointments or maybe present disappointments. We all have them. Don't allow past failures or even present maybe failures right now to rob you from God's new day that he has for you. God wants to step into your place of isolation right now and say, Friend, friend, I love you. Friend, I love you. Come on, we've got some jobs to do. We've got some souls to reach. We've got some people to touch. And I can't do it without you, but I need you. Stop believing the lies of the enemy. Stop living in a state of hypocrisy that's put you in a place of isolation where you're feeling sorry for yourself and having the wrong feelings and now you're having the wrong actions. But be everything that God wants you to be. Come on, today's my new day. Today's my moment. Come on, Jesus needed to come for me. He's right there, right now, touching, wanting to be there for my life, just like he is for you. Would you bow your heads with me tonight, just where you're at? Just bow your heads. I'm going to ask tonight, I wonder how many people would say, as every head is bowed tonight. I know a lot of the times we, we don't bow our heads, we don't close our eyes, we just let people put up their hands because... We just, that's the culture we create here because we just really believe if you can't do it in the house when everyone else is around, if you can't confess God before men, you're never going to do it out of here. But I think tonight some of us just need to get real with God on our own tonight. I wonder tonight as every head is bowed and eyes are closed in this place, I wonder how many would lift up their hand and say, Pastor, thanks for that message. I needed that tonight. Come on. I needed that tonight. Come on, it just hit me. It just hit me. Come on, I'm not asking for hands to make me feel good. Wow, wow, that was about 90%. I preached a good message. No, 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 I I pray the Holy Spirit preached a good message because all I spoke was words. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit to change our lives. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to work inside. I'm telling you right now, you've got to quit believing the lies of the enemy. You've got to stop listening to the lies of the enemy. He wants you to live in a hypocritical way. He wants you to live isolated. He wants to condemn you. But God does not condemn you. He convicts you. What does that mean? He shows you the error of your life. Just like, who are you? I'm Jacob. That's conviction. That's coming clean and saying, God, I need you. and I need your strength and I need your help. This tray just begins to play. Here's what I want us to do all over this place. Just find a place to pray. You can go at the back. You can go up the corner. You can come at the altar. You can turn in your chair. You can just sit in your chair. You can lay flat on your face. You can do whatever you want. But please, don't let this moment pass by. Come on, don't let this moment pass by. Would you just seize this moment just for a few moments? Would you seize this moment and would you say, God, change me? 
break me out of the state of where my life is because God, I believe that you want to be my friend and I want to be your friend. I want to do what you've called me to do. I don't want to believe the lies of the enemy any longer. Come on, I don't want to live the same way because God, you didn't die for me to be in bondage. You didn't die for me to be depressed. You didn't die for my marriage to be on the rocks. You didn't die for me to be struggling with addictions. You didn't die for me to have a potty mouth. You didn't die for me to have all these things. But you died that I can have freedom and release and liberty and I can be set free. My marriage can never be the same. My talk can be different. My walk can be different. I can be everything. God, that's what you came to do. God, I pray that you would do that right now. Come on, would you just pray all over this place? Come on, just see God. Just see God. Precious Jesus, precious Jesus. It's time to have a new residence tonight. Come on, we're not living it by yourself anymore. Come on, we're not living in the lies of the enemy any longer. Come on, we're stepping into the greatness that God has for us. Come on, we're stepping into the future that God has. Come on, well, how I used to be, I'm no longer going to be like that. I'm tired of being a hypocrite, saying one thing, but yet living another way. I'm tired of wearing a mask. I'm trying to be, tired of being superficial, trying to have an image and trying to be all these things, but... 
It's just to fool people, to stop them from seeing really who I am, the brokenness, the emptiness, the pain, the insecurities. But God, I thank you, God, that our esteem is not self-esteem. It's not in self, but God, our esteem is in God-esteem, in relationship with you, knowing who we are in Christ. And God, as we know who we are in Christ, then we can have a confidence. God, I just pray for everyone in this place tonight. God, I just pray as they've found a place to pray. And God, I pray that people have made their lives right with you. God, if there's sin in their life, they've said, God, sorry, please forgive me. Come into my life, change me. God, I pray those in this place would say, God, use me. God, I want to be like that lady. I want to go out from this house and I want to touch people. I want to make a difference. I want to bring people in. I want to be the biggest inviter and bringer to the house. I want people to be able to come. Why? Because of the testimony of the change that God has done in my life. God changes in such an incredible way that we'll never be the same again. We'll kiss hypocrisy goodbye. We'll kiss isolation goodbye. And God will live in the fullness of you. We thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you, God, for your strength and power. And God, we just thank you that you're so awesome. We thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Jesus. In the word of God, there's a scripture. I can't remember exactly where it is. can't remember exactly how it goes, but paraphrased, it goes something like this. The law brought with it condemnation, but Jesus brought grace and truth. Grace and truth. The law condemned brought no hope, but God brought grace and truth. Do you notice the order? He didn't bring truth and grace. He brought grace and truth. Because we need the grace of God in order to discover the truth of God. We need the forgiveness. We need the mercies of God in our life. So we can experience the truth of God. And I'm so glad tonight, no matter where we're at, what we've done. Come on today. His grace and His truth is available for each one of us. Those of you who are praying and want to stay, just remain praying and just thank you. Be back with us on Sunday. We're just going to have a great day in the house on Sunday. Another awesome day at nine o'clock. We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heart Seas Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless. Forevermore, master.